welcome to Dog Logical. I'm your host, Renee Rhodes, the behavior and training specialist behind R Plus Dogs. Here at Dog Logical, I hope to make sense of your dog's behavior and give you insight that gives you the best relationship possible. If you'd like to know more about me or you're looking for your next dog professional to work with, you can find me at rplusdogs.com. And with that, let's get into the podcast. Hi guys, and welcome to the podcast. Today we have Beth Barkobian from Rehab Your Rescue. She's a behavior consultant specializing in separation anxiety. And that's what we wanted to tackle today on the episode is asking about separation anxiety, kind of dispelling some myths on what it is and giving some tips that you can either work on or advice that can be useful in dealing with separation anxiety. Beth, would you like to tell us about yourself? Sure. Hi there. So my name is Beth and I am a behavior consultant located in Dallas, Texas. I have a master's in animal behavior from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I have over 20 years of experience and I am certified in separation anxiety. I'm an SAPCT, which means that I was certified by Julie Naismith with the sub-threshold separation anxiety training. Basically means we just want to keep your dog under threshold at all times. So that's me in a nutshell, friend. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, so we'll start off kind of, you know, with your your history, because I'm I think, you know, you've mentioned something about having a dog who has experienced separation anxiety previously. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I do, yeah. So when I met my husband about eight years ago, we had a dog with separation anxiety that we really struggled with. And so we had her on meds. We used the Patricia McConnell method, but we didn't really seem to get anywhere. So we ended up doing a lot of meds and some counter conditioning and desensitization, but it didn't really work. Like it worked okay. And we could never get her off meds. Then fast forward to May of this year, we got a 10 year old English setter from our English setter rescue and she I talked to the foster and, you know, of course, being a behavior consultant, I, I went through the history as in depth as I could. Does she have any issues? Does she like little dogs? Because we have three little dogs. You know, what, are there any issues with her? And every answer was no, 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 no. She's great. So my husband drove to Memphis to pick her up about a 12 hour round trip drive. We get her home. She promptly pins our tiny little Texas Terrier underneath the dining room table. And I was like, oh, good. So this is great. <laughs> this is going to go swimmingly. So thankfully, we got that right in pretty quickly. And now they're best friends. But three days, fast forward to three days, we went to leave to go to a session. And we have cameras in our house because I'm a psycho dog mom. And I like to watch my dogs and make sure they're all OK. I flip on the camera and she is panicking. She is pacing back and forth between the two windows in our foyer. She's barking, she's drooling. She has this just panicked look on her face. And we were about five blocks from the house. And I said to my husband, you know, we got to turn around and go back. And he was like, no, she'll settle. And I'm like, no, let's turn. And as I said, turn around, she went through our side light on our door next uh, glass window next to our door. The bad part was, is that my husband's a retired firefighter and we have a full fire hydrant sitting right in front of that window with all everything still in it. So it weighs about 200 pounds. 
So she was trapped in the window between the fire hydrant and the wall. Ooh. Yeah, it was terrible. And I was like, oh my goodness. And so we, and that's not actually, I said, I said much more colorful language. <laughs> we, <laughs> we got her back, we got home, he jumped out. I went on to my clients because I, I had a, uh, a behavior consult I was going to. So I, I went to, on to my client. He got her to the vet, got her all sutured up. So then I was like, well, now what do I do? So now we can't leave this dog. I need to figure out what to do. And surprisingly enough, what popped up on my Facebook feed that same day was Julie Naismith's first, first cohort for her separation anxiety certification program. And I was like, this is kismet. Oh my goodness. Or Facebook algorithm. Yeah, Facebook was listening. So I was like, that's creepy, but I'm taking it. So I signed up and I took it and I dove into module one, which was, you know, uh, what separation anxiety is and isn't, and really dove into how to fix her. Um, Thankfully, I have a fantastic relationship with my vet. And so I called her immediately and she was on board with us getting her on meds. So, full disclosure, we did put Tessa on meds immediately. Um, we started her, and so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say what she was on, but I'm gonna say this is this has to be a conversation with you and your vet. I, as a behavior consultant, cannot tell you what meds to ask your vet for, nor should we, nor should any behavior consultant um, do that. This was Beth, the dog mom, having a conversation with my vet, um, knowing, and I do have some knowledge, so I was able to say, hey, we need some meds what do you think is most appropriate? So my vet did put her on fluoxetine, um, gabapentin and trazodone. We did that cocktail for two weeks, pulled the trazodone off and then did the gabapentin for the full 30 days that the fluoxetine was loading. And then we did pull those meds down and we were able to wean her down pretty. So she started at 60 milligrams of fluoxetine and now almost 10 months later, she is only on 20 milligrams and we're starting to wean down. We're going to start that much first. We're going to start a wean down and see if she holds her program. She is at um, a full eight hours. We can leave her a full eight hours now and have no anxiety, no panic. Her separation anxiety is well under control. Um, we did have a slip when she got sick in December. She did, some of her panic-related behaviors came back and her separation-related behaviors came back. So we did have to... Um, up her meds a little bit for a couple of weeks, but then they we were able to start, the, and we started the program back over. Um, but Julie's program has been an absolute lifesaver for us and really showed me how to, um, how to put separation, anxiety programs into action. And so not only am I successful with my clients, I've been successful with my own dog, which I think really gives clients hope when they talk to me, is I can say, I understand what you're going through. It sucks, especially when you can't leave. That's the worst part, right? Mm. Yeah. It's also a really great um, poster child for the, you know, the work that you do is I think sometimes if you're, if you can say, Hey, you know, this is something that I've experienced with my own dog. I feel your pain. And also, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it can really help to, to boost the confidence in your client. Yeah, for sure. And that it works, you know, that's what I just can say is that more than anything, it works and it does, it take, it does take time, but we can get there together. And it, before you know it, it's, you know, you'll be at 30 minutes before you know it, you'll be at two hours. And then all of a sudden your dog is at six, seven hours. 
which I was lucky as we moved pretty pretty fast because her primary, she was primarily hyper attached to my husband. Uh, so that, that we had to tackle first. Hmm. And it's interesting as well, you've mentioned the time frame because we won't delve too much into medication on this, um, but the the time frame is always important to mention because I think when think when people think about medication, sometimes they think about it as um, either something to kind of just get over the hump, maybe with like a situational med, or if we are going to be on medication, it is going to be something which is going to be like I ge- I generally say about six months plus, so that you're sure. at. 10 months now, and you know, you're, you've kind of mixed that what she was on up as well as the dosage. Yeah. And it took us, so we got to four hours pretty fast. I will say that like we got to four hours in three months. So, Mm -hmm. and then we were able to, then we did stall a little bit. So there's all, it's, I like to liken separation anxiety training to weight loss is that you, some with most dogs, especially once we get on meds, um, I'll be honest that most of my cases are on meds um, and either we're through a vet behaviorist or we're through a good general practitioner that knows a lot about behavior meds. Um, most of the time, most of my clients can make pretty swift progress in getting to 30 minutes, you know, in a month or two, depending on the case of the dog and depending on how hard we're working. You know, for me, we really, we had to suspend all absences, which was tricky. My husband's a firefighter paramedic works a three 12 hour. He's no longer an on-duty firefighter. He he works as a paramedic. So he works three 12 hour shifts a week. And those three 12 hour shifts, if they didn't fall on a Sunday or Monday, which are my quote unquote days off, but as an entrepreneur, you know, most of us don't take days off. Yeah. (laughs) Those are myths. So we had to suspend absences too. So it, you know, everybody was like, Oh, it had to be so easy for you because you're a professional. I'm like, no, because when you are a professional, working on your own dog, you forget your own, you know, your own knowledge. And you're like, I don't know what to do. So I, I leaned on Julie, I leaned on the separation anxiety group. Um, and some of my, you know, my colleagues that were in separation anxiety, I was like, now what do we do this? She's doing this weird thing. Um, so, you know, even as a, as a professional being a pet mom, it's two very separate things when our dogs have behavior issues. (laughs) Oh, totally. I, I used to be a vet tech and I could not, if dogs came in, like if my own dog came in um, and needed something, it was really, really difficult for me. I remember when my beagle came in to get spayed and I was having like a breakdown because I couldn't put in a catheter. And I was just like, somebody else do it. Like, <laughs> just, just do it. Like, I can't, I can't. I went into the surgery because I'm a little, um, a little bit of a control freak. So I was like, have to be in there. I have to know what's going on. But as far yeah. as anything else was just too much for me to do. <laughs> Don't look at me like, no. Yeah, no, I get that completely. My husband did too. One of our dogs had a uh, had an event once and collapsed and he didn't know what to do. And I'm like, resuscitate <laughs> her. And he's like, ah, it was, it was quite the, the <laughs> moment. <laughs> Um, so I think it's important to kind of give definitions to to what we're talking about here. So um, sure. how would you kind of define what separation anxiety is? Sure. So separation anxiety is 
your dog having essentially a panic attack when you leave. So the dog isn't giving you a hard time, they're having a hard time. So what that can look like is it can look like frantic pacing, not just moseying to the window and looking out, moseying to the other window, looking out, laying on the bed, getting up. No, frantic pacing is going to be back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, along with some body language changes. So ears back, eyes dilated, mouth tight, panting, drooling, usually vocalization, whining, barking, howling. Sometimes we'll get some soiling and sometimes we'll get some destruction. But just because your dog isn't soiling or destroying or um, vocalizing doesn't mean they're not in distress. So I had a client that called me that said, it's really weird. Every time I come home, my dog is in his kennel and it's just soaking wet. And I'm like, okay, so is it urine? And she's like, no, I don't know what it is. I'm like, do me a favor and set up a camera or Zoom or something and let's watch him and see what's happening. Well, her dog was drooling mm. the entire time she was gone. That's a stress response. And that's a serious stress response. Could you imagine being locked in a room for eight hours and you sat there the entire time and just salivated because you were so stressed out or shook because you were so stressed out, but nobody relieved that because they didn't realize it was a stress response or an anxiety response. So their answer to that, we'll get into kind of what not to do. They had someone tell them that they should um, just leave the dog there, leave the dog in the crate. He'll get used to it. Yeah. Not true. You know, unfortunately they won't just get used to it. It's like, if I put you in a room with spiders and you hate spiders, you're not going to get used to it. (laughs) You may stop screaming, but you're not going to get used to it. I may not stop screaming. (laughs) (laughs) I may not stop screaming. (laughs) Can we try this? Just kidding. <laughs> no, there's there there are very few things that I say no to, but that would absolutely be I no, we're not doing that ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about birds. Like if somebody put me in a room with birds, nope, mm, not doing it. I'm fine with like everything else. Just spiders, absolutely not. Like I, oh, just even talking about them, I'm like, not not doing it. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I am about any bird. So I went to a client's house the other day and they were like, I asked, do you have any other pets? And she's like, chickens. And I went, where? Like, literally was like, spot around in my chair. Like, where are these chickens? Are they coming at me right now? And she's like, do you not like chickens? I'm like, no, I'm terrified of them. And she's like, oh, okay. So thankfully I've not encountered the chickens. So, I mean, on that kind of note, what is not separation anxiety? Because I think sometimes people do, it's a term that gets thrown around a lot. And I think it's, it's important to understand, like, like you mentioned, you know, just movement when you're absent is not equivalent to a dog necessarily having a separation, you know, related distress. Yeah, for sure. So, and there's different levels, right? There's different separation related behaviors. So there's confinement anxiety, there's isolation distress, there's hyper attachment. Um, So your dog could be having confinement anxiety, but not necessarily separation anxiety. Mm -hmm. So like my new puppy, my my lovely 16 week old um, English setter who, you know, if anybody really wants him, I might give him away for free. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Don't get a puppy. Uh, So he 
it has confinement distress. He came with confinement distress, um, which is tricky to kind of get over because we, you know, your crate training and all of that, but he doesn't have separation anxiety. So what's the difference, right? So the difference is he can be left alone downstairs in our foyer with our senior dog and he's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Put him in a crate and leave and he's going to flip his shit. He's just going to scream, bark, howl, and he's actually not going to, he's going to just scream. And he's going to, he's going to look like he is in distress. His ears are going to be back. His eyes are going to be wide. The whites of his eyes are going to turn red. He's going to drool. He's going to hyperventilate. Um, separation anxiety is not your dog getting off the couch, you know, your 10 month old Labrador being left out, getting off the couch and chewing up the couch with no other signs. So if there is no sign stress, signs of stress, that's probably just a lab being a lab and chewing, you know, chewing up your stuff. Um, if your dog gets up and walks to the door and looks out, that's not a separation related behavior or occasional howling and barking. So if your dog maybe gets a little worked up when you leave, they might have a little bit of isolation distress when you first leave, but it's not necessarily separate, full-blown separation anxiety. And we kind of have different, I don't want to say levels, but different intensities Mm -hmm. where maybe a dog is super mild separation anxiety that we can you know, desensitize them to the door opening or closing or a certain leaving cue. I've known some clients where if we just take out this, and one client that the only thing that worked her dog up was her putting on scrubs to go to work. Yeah. And as soon as I took that out, the dog was fine. So that in itself, not true separation anxiety, that leaving cue just made the dog anxious. And so we took that leaving cue out and the dog was fine. And I, we never had to do another never had to do desensitization to the door, never had to do any of that stuff. The dog just, as soon as she took those scrubs out and changed at work, he was fine. So it's those kind of things where you have to see what is really happening here. Is it anxiety or is it just a little bit of distress because something's happening and maybe because we haven't done enough leaving in this pandemic? Yeah, completely. I mean, I had a little bit of that with, um, with Nero. Your husband leaving? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Your um, boyfriend leaving, you have a little bit of separation anxiety <laughs> when he tries to leave, go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, he, he, whenever I would put on my kind of top, so my logo branded top, um, sometimes he would trigger to that and think like, mm-hmm. You know, because I, that was the only the only time I would wear that to go out of the house meant that I was going to be out for a significant a significant amount of time, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes with him, sometimes not with him. Um, so what I started doing was just, which you know, the pandemic helped with that as well, is just wearing it around the house, and then no longer yeah. was it a trigger for him, um, and he then stopped. So even stuff like that, where I was like, how do you? Cause I wear a lot of black. So how do you know that that's, you know, my top, but I mean, breaking it down, there are probably other factors as well. Um, but that was something that I, he hadn't, it just kind of happened one day that I yeah. noticed that this was something that he was getting a little bit, not, I wouldn't even say anxious. I think anxious is too harsh of the term, but he was just a little bit more mobile, a little bit more aware, like his, his kind of mannerisms and behavior change when I was wearing it. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. How did you, um, so how did you go about kind of picking that out from everything else? 
So what I, what I do with my clients is I break down, you know, when does your dog get anxious? So when we do a consult, I'll be like, tell me when you're seeing these anxieties, when are you seeing your dog start to get stressed out? And for her, she was, cause she, again, she is, uh, she works in a hospital and she works 12 hour shifts. And so she would, she was like, well, what's interesting is that I can come and go on my non-shift days. And, but on my shift days is when I see his anxiety. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And her shifts aren't always the same. So she kind of had a floating schedule. So she always had, you know, like she would sometimes go in at 10 and sometimes go in at eight, sometimes go in at one. And her days were always different. So I finally was like, I think I know what it is. Can you do me a favor and change your leaving routine? Do you wear scrubs to work? And she's like, I do. Tomorrow morning, when you get up, put your scrubs on and tell me what happens, even though it's not a shift day. And that's when she got up, she went, to, she showered, put her scrubs on and the dog smooth panicked. And so I was like, okay, great. That's what it, I bet this is what it is. Let's try it tomorrow. When you get up to go to work, don't put your scrubs on, take them to work with you or put them in your bag or whatever, put them in your bag the night before. So he doesn't even see you touch them. Mm-hmm. And the next day she got up, she took a shower, she left the house and the dog was fine. And I was like, okay, let's try this again. And so we tried it again, leaving, we did it for a couple of weeks and the dog was fine. And then I'm like, put your scrubs on again. And she put her scrubs on and the dog panicked. And I was like, so the dog knows that scrubs predict leaving, but he's really okay with you leaving. We just need to take these scrubs out because that for some reason is causing him a panic, just like your, your work shirt and my treat pouch for my dogs. It's my treat pouch. Although they don't get anxious. Um, they get all worked up when I go to the refrigerator and grab out my treats and my treat pouch. They're like, Oh, where are you going? What are you doing? Where are you going? And so <laughs> it's you know, like, let's go off. Um, or my old dog that we lost in September, who is my working dog. As soon as I go to the refrigerator and get my cooler, she'd be like, let's go. Come on. We're going. It's funny how they pick up all of our leaving cues. And sometimes that turns into a stressor for them instead of just like, Oh, mom and dad are leaving and I can nap now. Yeah. I got a um, camera when we, when we first got Lycan, because I was concerned he had had someone at home all of the time with him. Um, yeah. I thought, oh, maybe he's going to have some issues adjusting to like, cause at the time I was, I was working out a lot and like Scott would pop, my boyfriend would pop back in and things like that. And so would I. So I got a camera for that. And um, I like to joke that I got a, I got a, I paid 30 pounds to watch my dog's sleep. <laughs> which is very reassuring because it was one of those like I got one of the good ones that would move or would alert yeah. when there was movement and um, it was night vision so it had all the you know kind of bells and whistles and the only time it would alert me um, and it would take a little like video of when that alert happened so I'd watch it back and it literally was just a montage of Nero or Lycan getting up stretching and moving and then going back to sleep <laughs> Yeah, same, same. We have cameras all over our house and we have the same thing. So we, I just want to be able to watch my dogs and make sure they're still sleeping yeah. um, and not, you know, like trying to change the world or take over the world. <laughs> they haven't yet, in case you're wondering. They know you're watching, that's why. They're like not that's watching, right. those are on. <laughs> that's right. Although my puppy, before we got um, a gate across it, he would, I swear, he would unplug it. Like I'd watch, I'd look in at him and he'd be fine. And then I'd go to look in the next time and the camera would be unplugged. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm looking at you. <laughs> He's like, I just put a, a, I'll put Kong over this. 
That's right. <laughs> so we, we talked about some of the signs. Do you think that there are any signs that maybe um, go kind of maybe hidden as other things or people misconstrued some of the signs? Um, what would you say are kind of things that we overlook when it comes to certain signs and separation anxiety? I think a lot of times the barking in the crate. I think that is like the biggest one where most people are just like, oh, my dog is just being stubborn and is barking in the crate. So if we just let them cry it out or we just, they'll get over it. It's not going to get over it. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, that's the big one. I think that the barking in the crate's the biggest of them. Um, the destruction, I think that is, they think the dog's just being naughty. The dog's just being um, opportunistic and trying to find something to do. And sometimes maybe, but you know, if we have met all of the dogs, all of the dogs other needs. So if the dog is properly exercised, properly enriched, you have made sure that you're fulfilling all the dog's other needs and it's still doing things like soiling and destroying your house, then maybe we need to look deeper into what's actually causing these behaviors to happen because dogs, dogs are not inherently spiteful. They're not doing things just to, you know, mess up your world so that you come home and have to buy a new couch. You know, they're not looking at the Pottery Barn catalog going, oh, I really like this couch, so I'm going to chew this one up. That's, you know, that's not what's happening. Um, we have to look at the dog's behavior and the emotions behind the behavior. So if it's a four to six month old puppy and you're leaving it out, probably not best life choices. And the dog is just being a puppy and is, you know, taking advantage of your furniture because it feels good on its teeth. Now, if the dog is, you know, 10 months and on, most of them can be, most of them, not all of them, please don't generate, you know, don't come at me um, about this. You know, we should be, right? <laughs> I'm getting all kinds of messages. Um, they can be left out if they've been conditioned properly, right? So if we're seeing behaviors suddenly and suddenly escalate, then we're gonna look at it being separation anxiety. And we're going to look at what is the cause behind it. You know, is it genetics? Is it stress? Is it, did something change? Was there, it can be as simple as I had one client, the dog was great. And then all of a sudden um, a transformer blew um, and the noise was so loud that the dog then developed a separation related behavior because it had so much anxiety around noises in the house and would panic every time the mom, every time the parents left. So then we had to work on noise conditioning and desensitization of leaving the house. Yeah. It's I don't know if that was concise. Was that concise? I feel like I rambled there. <laughs> no, you were <laughs> fine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things I think we, uh, the, the one that I always mention is the the soiling. So that's yeah. where a lot of people, I think for puppies, they think yeah. body training issues. Um, and it's getting people to to understand like how the body responds to stress. And sometimes yeah. that's a natural part of something that happens um, and looking at it from a perspective of like, you know, that is the body's response to stress. You're, it's not just a puppy thing or it, an older dog, you know, sometimes if dogs start to, for whatever reason, 
have some separation anxiety as they get older, people automatically assume if they see their soiling that, oh, we've had some regression in potty training or there's something wrong like, you know, with my dog's digestive system. And it's like, well, it could also be that they're quite anxious. Yeah. So we're always going to rule that out. I'm always going to want to rule out any health issues first. So if we are having a dog that is soiling in the house, I usually ask a couple of questions. One, do they soil in the house when you're home? If the answer is no, that's going to be a red flag. That's going to be a tick in the separate. So we're going to make two columns. Is this separation anxiety? Is it not dog soiling in the house when we're home? No. Okay. Let's put a question mark in the separation anxiety column. Um, have we ruled out a UTI, a bladder infection, have, and um, anything to do with diarrhea, giardia, any of those things that might be causing diarrhea, change in diet? Yes, and everything's fine. Okay, now we're going to put a take in the separation anxiety box. Um, is the dog properly, you know, exercised and all of those things? And when we leave, are we seeing some stress signs before we start to leave? Yes or no. And if if they say, oh no, we never see the dog sleeping when we leave, there's no issue. Okay, then I'm gonna mark in the the no, the other column, the may not be separation anxiety column. And we're just gonna keep kind of deciphering down and digging down and seeing what kind of other anxieties, what kind of other issues are we also seeing? Is this a, a young dog that's just being opportunistic, or is it a dog that is truly showing signs of stress and anxiety? When we look at our older dogs, they can start to have a lot of cognitive delays. Um, so the first thing I did with, with Tessa, because she's 10, um, she's, she'll be 12, she's actually 11, she'll be 12 this year. We got her when she was 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing I did with Tessa because of her age is I did rule all of those things out. And like, is she just, and I gave her enough time to settle in. Um, I did start her on some trazodone right away because I wanted to make sure we were taking down her anxiety. Um, But she wasn't just showing, and she wouldn't show any of those signs when we were home. So like at seven o'clock at night, she wasn't sundowning. She wasn't running around pacing, um, disoriented, showing a ton of anxiety, banging into walls, not being able to, you know, not being able to function at night, which are my other setter duchess would do. My other setter duchess had sundowners. And so we knew her cognitive delays well. We knew what cognitive delays look like in a setter. So we ruled that out first. And we're like, okay, so it's not a cognitive delay because she's not doing anything at night and she's fine. And the only time we see this stress is when my husband and I get up to leave, primarily my husband. So we have to look at the whole picture of the dog and not just like, well, when I leave, my dog's being bad in it. He's on the floor because it's mad that I left. Well, it's not mad that you left. It's panicking. And imagine if you felt that way. So I like to liken it also to kind of a bad relationship. So think about if you've been in a relationship with someone, partner, parents, siblings that you don't really get along with and you know they're coming home, what that anxiety feels like. That's what your dog feels like when they're leaving. They feel that sense of dread and panic of like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, now what, now what, now what? How am I gonna handle this? And how they're coping with it is by urinating, defecating, barking, howling. They're trying to self-soothe and that's how they're trying to do it. Yeah, that's a really great analogy as well because the the panic is equivalent, I think, to, to that you know analogy that you've kind of given, that sheer kind of, 
survival mode that the dog is in when they yeah. don't really know what's going on. And a lot of people think like, oh, you know, the dog knows I'm just going to be right back. Or I always come back, you know, the kind of like jokes that, that we sometimes make. And it's like, yeah. but the dog doesn't. <laughs> right. Because they don't have a concept of time. And yeah. that's, and even though people will be like, oh, they do because they know that food is at this time. No, they know our routines. Mm-hmm. They don't actually and they know the the cycle changes of the sun really so they know when the sun sets and the sun sunset or sunsets and sunsets <laughs> sun rises and sets. True. <laughs> i mean it's fine um that's what they know they they know the changes of the day they don't you know they don't have little watches on and you know on their little pod phones going Rex, can you believe mom's left and she's not back? She said she'd be back in 20 minutes. It's been 35. You know, <laughs> that's that's not what's, what's happening, right? They they don't know if we've been gone five minutes or 55 minutes. Yeah. They just know that being alone is really stressful. Yeah. And when that panic takes over, you know, anyone that has ever suffered with panic attacks, anxiety, you know, there a lot of people think that the dog like you mentioned about spiteful and stuff like that that the dog no longer has control so you know they can't just be like calm down you know they'll be right back no like the the panic is in the driver's seat at the moment and that's all the dog can experience 100 percent um which think about yourself if you've ever been if you've ever had a panic episode and you've ever been triggered um i I live in Dallas. We had a really bad snowstorm here uh, about two weeks ago. We had a hundred car pileup. Um, five people died. It was really awful. We don't have the infrastructure on our roadways. And I had to drive home after the second round of snow. And I had to drive for my clients. Um, it was about, it's usually a 30 minute drive. It took me an hour and a half and a semi came barreling behind me. And I had a legitimate panic attack. I was by myself in my car. I started crying. And my eyes started to close because one of my trigger responses is that my eyes close to kind of shut everything off and let my body reset. I had to force my eyes open and pull over to the side of the road so that my eyes could close and I could reset my nervous system. That's the same thing that's happening with your dog. So imagine that I can think I can get myself through this and push through it and reset and call my husband and sob on the phone with him. Who they they don't have again they can't pick up their paw phone and call their mom and say I'm having a bad day help me that's our job so when we see these dogs panicking we have to do something and not just continue to force their stress yeah the paw phone is the the barking the whining the drooling the destruction that's yeah. the you know that's, that's the, the little phone. that's the yeah. call beeper <laughs> that's good yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Out. Yep, that's their communication. They've sent you a text message. <laughs> I'm fucking up your shit. <laughs> you left it on red. Come on. Come on, come home. <laughs> so we kind of touched on this already, but I, how would you know when it is separation anxiety? Like, have you ever gone to a case and they just started talking and you've been like, yeah, I know what we're dealing with right now. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And and when it's not, so we had a case the other day. Um, she called me and she was like, "My dog, I, my dog is separation anxiety." I'm like, "Great." She wanted to do an in person, so I went and did an in person. I met the dog and I was like, "Oh no, your dog's just being opportunistic. You're gone for too long. She 
she was gone for 10 to 12 hours at a time. And I was like, we just need to, let's rule out a bladder infection. And it turned out it was a bladder infection. And that's why the dog was urinating on the floor. And it wasn't a separation related behavior. On the flip side of that, um, I have a client in North Carolina. No, that's a lie. Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Rosie, she is a setter. She just turned a year old. Um, and they were like, we're not sure it's separation anxiety. We think she's just has, she's just has generalized anxiety and she does. She has both. She, she got it all. <laughs> lucky. Uh, yeah. Lucky parents. Um, but they, they had done their homework first and they, they had already suspended absences by the time they got to me. Um, but she was so bad. They couldn't even walk to the door. So when I, I do an assessment and what my assessment looks like, and I always tell my clients, you're going to look, you're going to feel really silly because I'm going to have you do things like stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down five times. And then I may have you walk halfway to your door five times. And then I may have you walk to the door, touch the handle. They couldn't even walk halfway to the door before Rosie started showing stress signs. She was like, oh no, where are you going? This is not okay. And she's, you know, her ears went back, her mouth went tight. She started panting. Um, her eyes got super dilated and she got scleria really fast, uh, the reddening of the eyes. And I was like, who guys? And I stopped right there and I'm like, we're not even going to do the five minute assessment because I don't need to. We need to start on just desensitizing the door, doing the doors a bore because doors are weird. You know, people come and go from them and they don't know why. Like, why do you disappear behind that door? That's weird. Come back. And then you come back through it. <laughs> so dogs don't understand what doors are. So we need to work on showing them that doors are okay and that we always come back through them. Yeah. So I wanted to, I wanted to kind of address some of the myths around separation and anxiety because we have sure. quite a lot. Um, sure. And you know, just getting your kind of, your kind of take on them and where, where we sit with them. Cause a lot of stuff changes, right? Like with dog training, some of the stuff that we were even doing, maybe even a year ago, we've, we've moved on. So we've, we've progressed and we've grown from it. And I think sometimes yeah. these things in dog training and, you know, dog behavior, they, they linger for a while. Yes. Um, and, and some of these memes, you know, I, I know you've probably heard them hundreds <laughs> of times. Um, I've heard them hundreds of times. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's good to have like a clear, a clear set of information around them. Yeah. So, and so much has changed in just five years in separation anxiety. Yeah. I mean, you know, Marlena Martini was the first one who uh, did suspending of absences and then Julie Naismith. So, I mean, we, so much has changed in just five years from how Patricia McConnell, when she wrote her book uh, many years ago, yeah, that had to be over 20 years ago, she wrote that book. We have changed so much in how we address it. So in just five years, we've had significant changes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so the first one I'm going to ask you is second pet. So a lot of people feel like if their dog has, or they believe that their dog potentially has separation anxiety, they feel like getting a second dog most likely, um, is going to be curative for that. What are your thoughts on that one? You know, no. Um, I always say this, if you want a second dog, great get a second dog, but do not get a second dog because 
you think it's going to cure your dog separation anxiety because it's not going to. The dog is not, does not need another dog there. It needs another human. Now we can, and this is probably a conversation for another day. Now dogs can get hyper attached to their uh, dog friends and we can have issues with separation anxiety from their dog friends, but that's a whole nother, that's a separate topic <laughs> that would take a lot of time to delve into. Um, but as a cure for separation anxiety, no. And we can also, dogs can mimic dogs, other dogs' behavior. So you can also start to also see your second dog now have separation anxiety. Or if you're getting a rescue dog, you don't know what you're getting. Like with Tess, I had no idea I was getting a dog with separation anxiety. And then what would happen if I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to go get another one to help her. And then that dog has separation anxiety. And then I get another dog to help that one. And that one has separation anxiety. Ah! So if you are prepared to, for the expenses of a second dog, the emotional responsibility of a second dog, or third dog or fifth dog or whatever, because I have five and my husband says six is our limit. So somebody send me a dog. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you're if you're ready for a second dog or an additional dog and that's really something you want to do anyways, then okay. But be prepared that the stress of your dog separation anxiety may affect your other dogs as well. Yeah, I think that is the takeaway point from that one is that that behavior may transfer. And then not yeah, only sure. do you have one dog with separation anxiety, but hello, right. here's your, you know, prize. You also have now two dogs with separation anxiety and potentially, you know, two various forms and two kind of approaches and double the work. Yep. Absolutely. Um, okay. So that's an eh -eh on that second pet. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's my impromptu sound <laughs> um, I like it so crate kennel safe space or open space so that depends on the individual dog but most of the time what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a dog out of their crate and I'm going to leave them in an open space so safe spaces kennels, they can cause confinement anxiety, which is if, if we're seeing separation confinement anxiety in a crate, we need to pull them out. So if your dog's in a crate and having major issues, we're gonna pull that dog out of the crate and we're gonna start desensitizing. I usually say wherever your dog does best at home is the best place to leave them. So for Tess, leaving her downstairs in our foyer with our, dog, with our other dogs was the best place for her. If we tried to leave her gated, so we live in a town home in downtown Dallas that is um, three stories. And so we were one story up to our main living area and we have a gate up there just to keep them on, on one level when during the day. Um, and what we found is if we tried to close that gate and keep her up there, she would panic. Like she would just, even once when we tried to do doors of bore with that gate, we couldn't. She was like, that was too hard for her. So when we took that gate down and let her come down to the lower floor and desensitized the front door and the garage door, she did 100% better and was like, oh, okay, I can manage you guys walking out that door, but I cannot manage you guys leaving me up on this floor because it feels too tough for me. So we really have to find the space that works best for your dog. So if your dog does great in your bedroom and with his open crate, great, then we can leave him in there and that's where he can hang out. But we kind of have to let the dog choose what the best place is for him and just make sure it's safe and it, you know, there's nothing for him to get into, 
that he can't open drawers, that he can't open, you know, trash cans and redecorate. So as long as we have somewhere where he, and but the goal is we're never going to leave them more than what they're, they're okay for. So if, if he's not okay for five seconds, we're only going to leave for four and then we're going to build up from there. So we never want to push the dog to be past its threshold um, while we're doing this work. So we want to suspend absences first. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Cause I, I personally hear a lot crate. So like whenever separation yep. anxiety is mentioned, it's like, get him comfortable with the crate. Like, you know, make sure that he's, he's happy in the crate um, or the kennel really, you know, any kind of yeah. like space like that or pen, things like that. But it's, it's almost one of those things I feel like has become synonymous with separation anxiety in itself. Yeah, I think most people think it's a quick fix that if your dog's okay in the crate, he's just okay. But could it just be learned helplessness? So if your dog is suddenly not showing separation anxiety signs because you've stuck it in a crate and an impact crate or a crate you can no longer bust out of, have you really solved the emotion behind it or have you just solved the behavior? Yeah. And also the repercussions for you. So like, are you just trying sure. to avoid that kind of, um, distressive deconstruction behavior, or are you really trying to do the best thing for the dog in this scenario? For sure. That, that, if we just put a dog in an impact crate, a crate that they can't bust out of, we're just managing the behavior and we're, uh, we're making the dog's emotion not part of it. Um, and we're teaching them learned helplessness and that humans are not to be trusted. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Um, so this one, we've already kind of, <laughs> we've given it away. Um, uh, oh, no. un <laughs> oh, darn. Um, unfixable. So some people say, oh, you know, if your dog has separation anxiety, they're always going to have separation anxiety. It's something you're always going to have to deal with. So, you know, just manage it. What would you say about that one? Maybe, but not always. I mean, there's always that one or two cases where the dog is really too far gone. And that, you know, too much has already emotionally transpired with this dog. So uh, I know I had one client. So we've been doing separation anxiety cases for about eight months now. And I had one client that we worked, we've worked together for a solid eight months. And, and we finally called it a draw. We got to two hours and that's as, as far as we could get. Um, because unfortunately the dog had a really bad history of going to a trainer who put the dog in the crate and every time the dog vocalized, they shocked the dog. So the dog had now a really bad connotation with crates, was terrified of people leaving, was terrified of people being out of their space. Um, it was a mess and undoing that. And um, we're continuing to work, but I think at this point they're, they, they're taking a break, which is great. You know, and sometimes behavior related, you know, behavior modification programs are tough and they're tough on you, they're tough on your dog. They're tough on me. They're tough on all of us. You know, they take a lot of emotion from the whole team and especially separation anxiety can be very isolating and frustrating. Uh, and they just, they, they're taking a break and they're managing for right now. The dog is on meds and the dog's pretty stable. So in that case, we may not get past two hours, but in most separation anxiety cases, we are going to get the dog comfortable with absences. Um, and most separation anxiety cases are pretty a pretty mild, mild to moderate, where we're going to get, you know, a dog that's doing some whining, some barking, some panicking, some drooling in the crate. Um, 
the number of my cases where a dog has gone through a window or a dog has destroyed impact crates um, are, are minimal right now. I mean, granted, my my lot is pretty small right now. My my pool is pretty small still, but even you know, looking at Julie Naismith's uh, pool, she's been very successful. So I think if we just keep working forward and moving forward, most cases are are pretty fixable, and we're going to get the dogs comfortable with being left alone. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned about you know the kind of the ripple effect, like we're, you know, yeah. we're focusing on the dog and the way that the dog is emotionally responding to this, but also the impact that it has on, on everyone else, because it's even, you know, not outside of separation anxiety when, you know, when you mentioned about behavior modification and that encompasses so many different things, mm-hmm. there is such a, oftentimes, I don't want to say always, but there is oftentimes a very heavy emotional emotional burden for everyone involved. Oh, 100%. And I often give my pet parents permission to take a week off. Um, when Rosie got to an hour and then she regressed back, uh, I on Zoom with her mom and dad, you know, her mom was pretty upset and her mom was pretty pretty devastated that we had this big setback. And I, you know, one of the things I said to her is, okay, let's take a break. Let's take a deep breath. Let's reset. Let's give Rosie a week off. Let's give more than anything. Let's give you a week off. And what I want you to do is I want you to take your dog and I want you to do something really fun with her that you enjoy doing with her instead of just training with her all the time. Go do what you love to do with Rosie. And when you do that, you're going to reset your mindset about her and you're going to feel better about her and we're going to be able to go back to work. So just 1% better every day is all I want. And I just want you to focus on the dog in front of you, not the dog that you wish you had, because that's when we're going to go down this deep, dark hole of, am I ever going to be able to fix Rosie? Am I ever going to be able to go out to dinner with my husband? Yes. But sometimes we have to take a break. And so that helps. I always tell my pet parents, if you're feeling so frustrated and dejected and you just can't imagine doing a training session don't take a break absolutely i agree 100 percent with that that's also something that i advise a lot of my a lot of my clients because the how we feel is so important in the process you know and and if we're having those days where we're really struggling that's going to impact our training. That's going to impact, you know, the, the session with the dog, the, you know, our ability to kind of push forward our ability in the training session to be present and, you know, make that because it's our change too. We have to change our behavior. And if you can't do that, there's nothing wrong with saying, I can't do that right now. I would so rather somebody say that to me then get frustrated, you know, be annoyed or, um, you know, half-heartedly, you know, sometimes I will say like, and I often, <laughs> something I do it generally every single one of the end of my, my sessions is say, you know, how did that feel or how are you feeling? Yeah. Because I want to know, yeah. you know, what is going through their mind at that moment, even if it hasn't, even if the session hasn't gone exactly how we maybe thought, I want to know that too, because I want to be able to say to them, 
hey, look, you know, yeah, maybe that didn't go according to plan, but let's take a moment and look at all of the, the positive things that happened and let's focus on that for now. But I mean, I just did a, a post, I think it was maybe about last week, week before um, on Instagram and, and Facebook. And it just literally said like, it's okay to take a break because it, yeah. I wanted to communicate that to people to say that, you know, I take breaks. Like I can't be, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I have my own business, you know, the, I'm on work most of the time, but I got to take those breaks and they have to take those breaks. And then there's nothing wrong with taking a break. It doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean that there's something necessarily negative. You just need a reset. Yeah. hundred percent. So unfixable, we're going to say that that is largely incorrect, but we have those, those outliers every once in a while. Yeah. Um, so daycare, how do you feel about utilizing daycare as a means to combat separation anxiety? For the right dog, it absolutely works. Um, so if your dog is a social dog, doesn't have any other behavior issues, because usually with separation anxiety, we also have some comorbidities. So we have some other issues going on, usually some reactivity, um, some generalized anxiety. So it's if, if your dog is social and your dog loves daycare, go for it. Do it. Love it. Cool. Um, right. This one. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That it comes that with chuckle beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't comfort the dog. So when your dog is distressed and exhibiting these signs of panic, don't comfort them. Go ahead and tell me about that one. <laughs> can I be frank on this one? You can be, yep, as frank and honest as you want. <laughs> yeah, that that's bullshit. That's an old uh that's an old wives tale that we shouldn't comfort our dogs. And one that I bought into many years ago at the start of my career, that's for sure. I bought into that reinforcing your dog's fear, or, uh, comforting your dog, reinforce your dog's fear. Absolutely not. Can you imagine? Um, you know, I did a live about this the other day on Instagram and it was on the same topic of the driving in the snow in, in Texas. Uh, if I was in the car and my husband was in the car with me and he started hitting me or yelling at me or saying, Hey, why are you nervous? Stop it. Stop being nervous. Stop it. What, what's the point of this? Why are you doing this? Stop it. I would have gotten more parent, but if he would have put his hand on my thigh and would have said, Hey, you're okay. Let's put on some music. Let's talk. Hey, tell me about your day. Hey, tell me a story. Hey, let me tell you about this guy that came into the ER and pooped his pants and made me laugh, (laughs) which is of course happened. Um, (laughs) That would have made me feel way part better, two. right? <laughs> part two, that would be part two. We'll talk about pooping pants and in, in part two of the podcast. Um, <laughs> so absolutely comfort your dog. Absolutely help them feel better. You know, and we don't want to tell them that it, it, it's okay because it's not okay. And it's fine that they're panicked. And it's fine that they are having this emotion and we're going to help them through it. If your kid was having a panic attack, you would you would comfort them. You put their arm around them and tell them, you know, that you were here to support them. So that's what we should be doing to our dogs as well. We should be comforting them and helping them through it. 
Absolutely. Um, I, I personally suffer with anxiety and I have for, um, since my kind of early twenties and I've done a lot to, to help that and, and combat that. Um, and, but I still occasionally will have like random panic attacks for, mm -hmm. and I say random because really I can't think of any, any sort of necessary trigger, but, um, I had one a few weeks ago, um, and it was late at night. Um, my, my boyfriend and I were just kind of talking and one came on suddenly and I couldn't speak because I was trying to do my cognitive behavioral therapy. I was trying to get a little bit of control of it. And of course, you know, if you're, if you're talking to your partner and you just suddenly stop and sit up and you're not responding when they're asking you things, you're going to be like, uh, <laughs> you okay? <laughs> um, <and> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're there. Um, <laughs> and, <Where'd> you go? <laughs> um, so then when I composed myself, I got a little bit more control over it. I was able to tell him what was going on. And um, it was very difficult because I felt very, I felt very, um, what's the word? Um, not sad, but I just felt kind of conscious of the fact that I had very abruptly kind of woken him while, you know, we were kind of in a sleepy state anyway, just conversing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, it's really late at night. And of course that was making my anxiety worse. Cause I was like, it's really late at night. And like, he needs to get to sleep. And I'm really, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm struggling a bit here. And instead and this of is really inconvenient. Yeah. And like, I feel really vulnerable. Inconvenient yeah. is the word I think I was looking for before. Thank you. Um, but you know what, in that situation, he was amazing and he was very calm <laughs> and he actually, <laughs> he told me some like stories of his childhood and things like that. And I, I fell asleep at some point. And mm -hmm. now, you know, I said in the morning, oh, I'm really sorry that that happened. And he was like, you know, what are you crazy? Like, it's, it's you know, basically it's, it's fine. Like, you know, as long as you were okay, but had he, and I have had this in previous relationships, had mm -hmm. he responded differently to that situation, I know for a fact that that hadn't, that would not have gone the way that it has. Now that's the first one I've had around him so that was the first time and we've been together for about four years now but that's the first oh, contact that I've ever had with him um so I know the difference in myself between when these events happen and someone's response to them because if you yeah make me feel uncomfortable about the fact that it's happening or try to I would say reprimand or you know to punish that behavior or make me feel any get any guilt around that yeah, immediately that's not going to come. And I think within, I think within about half an hour, maybe I was asleep and that's just, yeah. you know, from, from panic to have to sleeping, um, and half an hour is a pretty, pretty good turnaround. Um, but that, you know, absolutely. I mean, to not be comforted, I can't think of anything worse than, you know, sitting next to my dog or my someone I care about and just watching or not even pretending to not, you know, know or not be aware because we need to ignore them, right? Not doing that. I can't, I cannot understand doing that. Like that takes, yeah. and I understand some people do it because they think that that's right in, in the situation. But your, I think your gut tells you in those situations, like it feels wrong to do that. Yeah. Or correcting it 
or making a big oh, correction yeah. when your dog is having a panic attack. And that's, you know, there are unfortunately those professionals that will tell you to correct your dog in a fear state. And unfortunately, that's just not going to work. That we need to change the emotion behind the dog, not the behavior. So when I get a client and they're like, well, I've been to a trainer before and it hasn't worked, or I've been to a trainer and they they did X, Y, and Z, and I'll say, well, that's great because I'm not here to train your dog to do anything. I'm here to change your dog's behavior and emotions. I'm mm-hmm. here to address the underlying emotions that are causing this behavior to happen. So we're going to focus on that. We're not going to teach your dog to sit down, stay calm. We're going to teach your dog to be okay being alone or be okay being next to a dog when they have a bone, whatever they're coming to see me for. Um, But we have to address the emotion and correcting your dog in that state. It's just going to make it worse. And it's not going to feel good for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's another thing, a very valid point when it comes to punishment is, and I have had clients who have used punishment methods or, you know, things that they think in the moment are, are correct. Um, and it's really grating, like really, really brings them down. Um, I remember asking a client a couple months ago who thankfully she didn't spend a lot of time correcting her dog for his reactivity. Um, but I just happened, you know, we were in a session and I just happened to say like, how did that make you feel when you were doing that? Because I was trying to explain to her, you know, why, why it isn't great. She already kind of knew that it didn't feel great and she didn't want to do it, but we were kind of like, you know, picking apart why necessarily. And so I just said like, you know, how did you feel when that was happening? And she was like, oh, I felt awful. Like she was like, every time it happened, you know, if he would have a reaction, even if it was just a mild reaction, I would get very upset. I would feel that stress of, you know, being embarrassed. And then also the stress of, you know, having to correct him and feeling awful about it. And she was like, most of the time I would call my mom afterwards, just crying because I felt horrible for the whole situation. And it's like, that's what a lot of people experience. It doesn't feel good for the dog. And it definitely does not feel good for you. And if it does, uh, something's a little off there. Yeah, because punishing isn't is reinforcing for the punisher, not yeah. for the punished. Absolutely. Because it's yeah. fast. It, I mean, we I can see why punishes punishment is used because it's fast and sometimes it works, but most of the time it doesn't work. And not to get too far off topic, but I just got a brand new client on Sunday. They had sent they got a brand new rescue dog. They had sent it off to board and train because they were desperate. They were that they were having intra-dog aggression and it was escalating and they were just desperate. And the only one they could find was a punishment-based trainer who sold themselves as positive reinforcement. But yet when they brought the dog home, they brought the dog home on a choke chain and they wanted, the trainer had wanted to use an e-collar and they, the parents had thankfully had said no. So they, I squeeze them into my schedule on Monday, which I'm usually about three weeks out, but Monday's my day off. And I was like, I desperately need you guys to see me on Monday because I need you to make changes immediately. Because what's Mm going to happen is as your dog decompresses, this behavior is going to escalate. And I need you to stop the punishment right now because there's going to be fallout and I need you to stop it. And so when I got on the phone, on the Zoom call with them and their faces were so dejected and they were so upset and they said, you know, we would make these big corrections on her and it feels awful and we couldn't bring ourselves to do it after the sixth one after it just wasn't working and we had to keep making these huge corrections we just couldn't do it anymore so we took the the choke chain off fast so I saw them on Monday I saw them again on Saturday 
and they were beaming. Like the few little tips and, and tips and tricks and tweaks I gave them and the few little counter conditioning things I asked them to do have made immense improvement. They are doing all the management I asked them to do and they were absolutely beaming because their dogs could be in the same room together and weren't trying to kill each other anymore. And they were making fast progress. And that's why I do what I do because we can make those kinds of progress fast without using punishment. You just have to have the right person. Oh, absolutely. And there's nothing better, you know, in those situations. And I'm sure you agree. Then when you have a client who you're like, okay, are we doing this? And they're like, yes. Okay. We did this. Yes. Like you're just like, tick, tick, tick. Like the, the more yes. ticks, the more I smile because, you know, listen to your professional. <laughs> Yeah. And when they do it, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, and I know it's always hard when we get these clients that have gone to other trainers and you ask them, well, what methods did they use? And they stop and pause and look at you. So I always say, listen, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to make any sort of, any sort of judgment calls about what you have done in the past. We're going to look back so we can march forward. I just need to know what has happened in the past so that I know what I'm dealing with and we can undo everything and move forward as quick as possible. And most of the time that alleviates their stress of having to tell me that they did something they may not have wanted to do. Yeah, no, I completely agree. There should be no judgment. And I always say to clients pretty much the same thing is like, you know, it's, I, I need to know kind of what happened so that I know what I'm going to maybe potentially see or some of the hurdles that we're we may have going forward. But at the same time, that's the direction that we're moving. So don't even worry if you have done something. And equally, if someone, you know, because it's, it's a pattern in our behavior as well. So like if they have practiced these things in the past and some of that creeps into some of our sessions, you know, I'll just say, try not to, you know, whatever, whatever it is they're doing. And oftentimes you find that they'll be like, oh, you know, shoot, like, I didn't mean to do that. Or yeah, that happened. Yeah. And it's like, don't even worry about it. Like the fact that you're even recognizing it means that yes. you yourself are aware and, you know, it's, it's learning for them. Like I often say training the dogs easy, like training the people, yeah. that's what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. The people is the, is the trickiest part. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, completely. Um, and like you said, you know, you get some of those clients where it just makes it so much easier if everyone's on board and even just try, I like to say to people, if you're hesitant about something, just try it, just try it. You know, if, if you try it and it doesn't feel right, or you think, you know, oh, this isn't for me or something like that, then we can talk about it, but at least yeah. make a movement on it. Yeah, for sure. So on the back of that question, um, you know, don't comfort the dog, do comfort the dog. The other one that seems to crop up a lot is if you coddle the dog. So if you're soft on your dogs, um, that in itself creates separation anxiety. Talk to me about that one. Who came up with these? <laughs> like, I did. <laughs> Um, how I'm so curious of why I just don't understand. Like you would, you would cuddle your kids, you, you know, and cuddling, what is cuddling? Like, no, I mean, 
no, causing is not going to cause separation anxiety. And really, humans don't cause separation anxiety. I have so many thoughts on that, but we'll just leave that for part three of the podcast. Um, part 27 of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be your next guest for all of 2021. <laughs> I hope you people like the sound of my voice. So, um, no, it doesn't cause separation anxiety. And often it's not caused by humans. It's genetic, largely genetic. And really, we don't know what causes separation anxiety. So let's just be there before I have a whole army of people coming at me. It's not genetic. Um, it can be genetic. If you have a mom that's separation anxiety and it does a separation anxiety, you're most likely getting a puppy that has separation anxiety. Um, so yeah, I, let's, no, coddling does not cause separation anxiety. It took me a long way to get there, but no. <laughs> But it's important because you, you, you dropped us a little, a little golden nugget there because you said about genetics. And I think genetics is one of those things that people, you know, I get, I work a lot with, with, with reactive dogs or dogs who have aggression. And one of the very, very common things I hear, which you may concur is, you know, I wish I got a puppy if they had a rescue dog, or, uh, you know, I wish that I got this dog when it was a puppy, because then I wouldn't have these problems. Like, not necessarily, like you may still, (laughs) you may still end up somewhere similar to where you are now, because genetics play, it's that nature nurture role, like, you may end up in a similar situation, or you may end up with a totally different scenario. 100%. So Edmund, my puppy, um, is 16 weeks, came from a very reputable breeder, came from very reputable genetics. Mom and dad do not have um, any dispositions as far as I'm aware. Uh, And I've spoken to the breeder uh, and has separation anxiety now, or, or confinement anxiety, not separation anxiety, confinement anxiety. So that could be a couple of things. Um, that I'm trying to ferret out with him. So I, he, mostly he's a, he's a big, dri- he's a drivey dog with a lot of drive, a lot of personality. Um, so I was the stupid one that told the breeder I want a dog with a lot of drive, personality, um, confidence, and uh, moxie. And I got it all. <laughs> so I'm regretting what I asked for because he is exactly that. So more than anything with him, he just has big feelings about everything in life. Um, yeah, we got one They're of those. Rosie. <laughs> yeah, big feelings about everything in life. So yeah. Rosie, I think is genetic because I have one of her brothers in my program too. And uh, full brother, same mom, same dad, different litter, but same mom, same dad, um, same, same separation anxiety, uh, general generalized anxiety behaviors. Uh, so Interesting. yeah, you know, and, and that leads us back to like the, that made me think of the Kim Brophy legs model right so we have to look at the the dog as a whole we have to look at the learning the environment the genetics and their sense of self um genetics play a big part in the dog and are we and if we're meeting those dogs genetics so when we talk about rosie and edmund they're field bred english setters with a ton of bird like they are super birdie dogs are we giving them outlets and using their genetics for what they're meant for or are we stuffing them into apartments in downtown Dallas and making them com- conform to what we need them to be? So we also need to look at that. Are we giving our dog enough outlets for their genetical makeup? Genetical makeup, that's that's a new word. It's coined, it's mine, <laughs> trademark. <laughs> 
genetical makeup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I think that's one thing that we're starting, hopefully we're starting to see more talk about is, is genetics because yeah, it was kind of, I think maybe like a year ago, it was kind of like these, it was getting a little bit more coverage as far as puppies and, you know, conditions and stuff like that. I think when we do often think about genetics, it is more for those health concerns. Whereas if we can, and oftentimes when I do an assessments, if, if we know about the parents, I try to get as much information about the parents or if they have any contact with the breeders or contact with any of the siblings, just to kind of see, you know, what, what are we dealing with? Or is anyone else, you know, kind of encountering these same concerns, you know, what was, and a lot of times you'll find, I don't know if you find this, but a lot of times dad is kind of, he exists and yeah. we may have seen him or we may not have seen him, but we don't have yeah. a really good understanding of, of the father. Yeah. And I think some sure. of it's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, see the mom, we might see the mom a little bit. Um, and especially yeah. in COVID times where like, we don't really get to see the parents too much and we can't do those multiple vi visits and things, but yeah. It, you know, not being able to know too much about the parents or even, you know, grandparents, if that's even on the, you know, on the menu at all. Um, yeah. Knowing a little bit about where, where, do, where did these dogs come from genetically? Yeah. I always ask that too. And I always ask, you know, how many were in the litter? Did we meet mom and dad? What was mom like? What was dad like? And what's interesting to circle back about, we should have gotten this dog as a puppy. Um, Rosie's parents got her as a puppy at nine or 10 weeks and she immediately started showing separation related behaviors at four months old. Yeah. Um, and same with, uh, Rosie's litter mate or Lo Rosie's sibling, um, not litter mate sibling. Um, he, he started showing separation related behaviors early on as well. I think he started showing it at four or five months old. Um, I'd have to look back at his records, but I think it was either between four and six, we'll say. Um, so yes. I mean, I see it more prone in the rescue dog. So my niche is, is the rescue dog and the rescue bird dog, but um, I see it just as equally in puppies. So no, don't get a puppy. I mean, they're terrible. So <laughs> I'm deep in puppyhood right now and they're just terrible. <laughs> He's like, how dare you say that about me? He's like, I'm the best one ever. <laughs> you asked for him. You asked for you asked for him. <laughs> I did, and I got everything I wanted and more, and in spades. And my husband frequently looks at him and says, "God made you so cute, so I wouldn't kill you." And it's that's why they make puppies so cute because you won't hurt them. <laughs> and it's very true. <laughs> oh goodness, yeah. Like I said, like like in I, sometimes I do tell myself that that cozy little lie where I say, if I had him from a puppy, things would be different, but it takes, it takes a lot of work, a lot of work. He kind of, he came to me at nine yeah. months and he was like an instant dog in a, with the, like the, the brain and the body of, of movement of a puppy. He, we like for the longest time, Scott just said, kept saying like, he's just like a big puppy. Like he just doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, he just doesn't have that 
the smoothness that an older dog does. It's just everything is done, you know, at high velocity and with such enthusiasm. And as you said, like big feelings about everything that's happening. But we wouldn't change it. Well. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) Okay, fine. We won't change it. (laughs) I also feel, I mean, like we're deviating a little bit here, but you know, with Lycan, he's taught me so much professionally yeah. and personally. Um, and now when I have clients who are having, like you were saying before about clients with separation anxiety, now when I have clients who have those really high drive dogs and their yeah. dogs are driving them crazy, they yeah. like, I get it. Like, I'm like, I'm right there with you. Like we're, <laughs> I feel like there's yeah. like, you know, some kind of like, you know, blood band between the people that have, <laughs> we're like, we're all in it. We're all in it. Um, but you know, it helps at least it has yes. to see things from a totally different perspective and to have yes. a, a wider repertoire of things that I can go to. Yeah. A hundred percent that, and you know, raising Edmund has made me more empathetic. It's made me step back and watch, be more empathetic to my clients and and watch what's happening a little closer. Not that I wasn't before, but it's given me, it's opened my eyes and put a new lens on, mm-hmm. uh, especially since I haven't raised a puppy in 16 years. You know, my last puppy was my schmog who I lost uh, three years ago. And he was my very first English setter puppy. And I swore after him that I would never get another one. And then I decided it was just a great idea in a moment of grief after losing Duchess that I should get an English setter puppy. And like, I thought it was a breed. <laughs> I was like, what? I was trying to figure <laughs> I, it out I, for I, a second. Like, schmog, schmog. <laughs> yeah. His, yeah. <laughs> his real name was Oswald, but for some reason, his name got changed to schmog. And that's what it stuck. He was schmog. He was schmog the dog. And that's it. Yeah, schmog. I always like interesting names. But yeah, for a brief second, I was like, what is that? What kind of dog is a schmog? An asshole? That's what kind of dog a schmog is. (laughs) He he was a tough guy. He taught me a lot. You know, my setters have taught me so much. And that's before I was in setters, I was in Rottweilers. Rottweilers and Pitbulls, and then I moved to Setters. It, it's a weird, twisty story. Part twenty nine of the podcast. <laughs> um, so I, he, they, my Setters, have taught me a world of knowledge on how to be compassionate, how to approach a sensitive dog. I mean, it's probably like you know Malinois. Even though they can be so drivey and so tough, they can be just as sensitive. And that Setters, like. You know, my lady setters are such sensitive kids and then this hard-headed Edmund, but then there's moments where I see him just show these flashes of panic and I'm like, okay, you're still pretty sensitive. So I shouldn't be so, and not that I'm hard on him, but I, I shouldn't expect so much out of you uh, because you're just as sensitive as your setter sisters. They're just a different character. It, so I've learned every dog that I've ever encountered, whether it be a client dog or my personal dog, I learn so much from them and I always try to take something away from every dog that I meet and that I'm working with no yeah that's such a great way of looking at it as well because they do each each experience 
you know, it's, it's I often equate it to like, you know, a square peg in a round hole. Like it's just not going to fit for every dog. And I think yeah, sure. there have been, there have been some posts recently that I've seen kind of on social media, which is they're making the rounds again of like train the dog in front of you. And I don't <laughs> think, <laughs> well, um, <laughs> but I think well, because talk that about that, nice. right? they bastardize that be, to make it work what they want to train the dog in front of you. Yeah. Well, first of all, that's not the quote. The quote is, Instead of wishing for that magical dog, work, the, work with the one that you have right now, the one right there looking up at you. That's the quote. And it's by Denise Fancy, yeah. who is, you know, positive reinforcement in, in sport dogs, high dry sport dogs, Belgian Malinois and Tavorans. She bred Malinois. She has an, I believe last year, she had the number one ring sport, number one Schutzen. I mean, number, number one dogs in the, in the country without using an aversive. So why is train the dog in front of you mean train the dog in front of you with all the tools? That's not what that saying is. That saying is train the dog there that's looking up at you and address their needs and stop wishing for a different dog. And that's what I talk to Rosie's parents about frequently because she's like, this isn't the dog I wanted. Like we literally were on a call one day and she was in tears and, and I'm sorry, Rosie's mom, when you listen to this podcast, um, <laughs> but she, she was in tears and, and she's, this isn't the dog I wanted. And I'm like, I know. So let's focus on the one that's looking up at you because yeah. that's the one we have. Yeah. So I mean, let's I think, focus on her. Yeah. I think we all, if we have had, and you know, kudos to people. I, w- I have, I have both. So I have Nero right. was so easy. You know, he's so, so easy. He's just such a beautiful spirited dog and, you know, he is very sensitive. So the lightest thing, you know, he doesn't like, if I raise my voice, even if I'm joking around sometimes, if I raise my voice, you, I can just see him kind of like, what's going on? Um, whereas like, you know, I raise my voice with lichen and he's like, what's going on? Like he, you know, two totally different kind of sets and you, you have to kind of, I think, yes, when we're talking about like, you know, train the dog in front of you and and look at the dog that you have, you know, everybody kind of wishes for something that they don't necessarily have, but you do get those dogs who are those kind of, I wouldn't say unicorn dogs, but the dogs that don't require a lot, or they come almost like, you know, ready-made great pet dogs. And they're just- clinging on to your every word and they're very biddable and you know that's yeah. great but then when you have a next dog and a lot of, I have had a lot of clients that have had that where they've had one dog and then the next dog and it's like I think it's called last dog syndrome where you're so fixated <laughs> to say but that dog wasn't like this dog or this isn't what I expected from this dog and it's like yes that happens in, in lots of relationships that happens in lots oh, of yeah. like your family. Like you don't get to pick your family. Yeah. Do you just, you know, abandon, you know, I didn't want any of you. Goodbye. You can, you can divorce. I mean, if you like you can leave home, but at the end <laughs> of the day, like that's still your family and you've, you've taken on yeah. this, this life and you need to, you know, commit to taking care of it. And who knows you may, you may grow to have an amazing bond with that dog. Yeah. 
and that's how it was with Schmog. When I got Schmog, it was a rough first 11 months. He was the worst puppy I ever had in my whole entire life. Um, and then he became, oh my gosh, that's part, part 30. Um, he, he was a tough, tough, tough puppy. And then, um, something clicked with me one day and it, and I'm not, I don't really remember exactly what it was, but all of a sudden one day I was like laying on the floor crying about the dogs that I had lost, um, 11 months before. And the breeder called me and was like, Hey, you never got his paperwork. Uh, let me send that to you. And I was like, Oh, Hey, yeah, I need his birth date for, um, the vet records or something. And she gave me the birth date and it was the exact date that my Oliver, who was my heart dog had passed away. Um, and she happened to tell me the time that that Schmog was born is Schmog was born at 935 on June 6, um, 2006. And that was the exact date and time that Oliver passed away. Wow. And that was the moment that I changed my, my thought about Schmog. And I looked at him and I said, you're here, for, you came here for me. And I knew that moment that the rest of our life together would be a really great life. And it was, he, we lost him at 12. Um, and he traveled the world with me. He moved across country twice. He, uh, outlived many men. Um, <laughs> my husband always said after, you know, I moved here and was here eight years with my husband. He, uh, uh, said there's you, he's the number one man in your life and I'm okay with it. And he was, and he, that dog was not the dog I wanted, but he was the dog I needed. Yeah, absolutely. It's taken me a while to get there with Lycan as well. I mean, they're, yeah. you know, I've, I have talked about it before on, on podcasts before, but I mean, I, there are days where I'm like in, like Scott will joke with me sometimes because he's like, oh, I love Tinsers. Oh, Tinsers, the best dog. Oh, sweet boy. Oh, and I'm like, he's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and it's like some days I'm like, Oh, Tinzer, because that's his nickname, Tinzers. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's not a Tinzers day. And I'm like, it's not a Tinzers day. It's about <laughs> not to be a Scott, Scott day if you don't let yourself. <laughs> it's always a Scott day. It's perpetual Scott day. But, you know, we always get oh, back to Tinzers. We always get back to Tinzers. It's just always. often it's much to do with Renee and not so much to do with Tinzers. It's more just you know, we do occasionally have those days where I'm thinking like, you know, you've had everything. What do you, what else, you know? And sometimes it's just me. It just really, really, <laughs> he wants to be right next to me and, you know, have that, just have a hand on him. And yeah. sometimes it's like, I'm, you know, I'm in, in the middle of a Zoom call. It's not the, I can't really do that. And sometimes I do. Sometimes you'll, you know, I will be on with clients and they might see little black ears poking out in the, in the side corner. I'm like, he's just sitting there. Like he just wants to, he wants to cuddle a little bit. But again, like I said before, you know, when, when things were in the very beginning, it was like, I didn't know what to do. I really didn't. I, I struggled with that a lot. And it also made me feel really awful because I didn't, I felt like I was, I was running out of spoons. Like I was just like, I don't know what else sure. I can, you know, and then again, you know, as you said, like something kind of changed for you, lockdown changed for me. It was beautiful because yeah. it allowed me to assess it gave me the time to assess what was going on and what I was doing wrong. Um, and it was a total game changer for me. So like it totally was able to just flip everything on its head. Um, and 
it, from that point, it really improved our relationship. And he's fantastic. I mean, really, like we think about sometimes, you know, Scott and I talk about, you know, losing the dogs or what it's, you know, and it's such a hard conversation to have because, you know, we spent all this time cultivating the relationship. And now that we have such a better relationship, like he's almost three. And I just think, oh, you know, like he's a shepherd. Like, am I going to be, how many years am I actually going to get out of this now? Um, yeah. and it's really, it sometimes is a really hard, like pill to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. But yeah, I mean, I think like I said before, like those kind of, I don't want to say difficult, but those, those more challenging dogs. I love Nero. Nero's my heart dog. He's just, he's everything and more, but it's a totally different relationship. Yes. Yeah. But challenging dogs always, always push you and make you work harder and be better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just grumbled in the background. He was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, exactly. Don't you forget it either. Now you pet me. Um, um, okay. So this one, the next one, um, on our kind of myth busting, um, I love this one. Um, so sleeping on the bed because, you know, sleeping on the bed, I just want to caveat this sleeping on the bed causes all behavior concerns in dogs, literally Uh every single problem. Yep. Absolutely. It causes separation anxiety. Don't do it. You're wrecking your dog for the rest of their lives. Stop it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Myth. Absolute myth. Um, Three out of my five sleep on the bed with us. Um, It's only because I hate my setters and they have to sleep on the floor in the little sleep in the bed. (laughs) No, Um, no, it's not true. So my uh, setters prefer not to be in the bed. So they're on the floor and the littles are in the bed with us. But no, Uh, furniture, bed, ottoman, wherever they want to be on your lap wearing you as a skin shirt that's absolutely acceptable oh <laughs> i got horrible stuff the lambs are screaming clarice um and i don't know if you have on yours on your myth uh following do you have it's following a myth i kind of taught oh what was that hold on one second let me just see I'm following you everywhere Oh no, that was one I was going to include, which was I like the Velcro dogs. Yeah. But that just seems silly. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's not a predictor in in and of itself. So what's funny is of my five, guess which one doesn't follow me everywhere? The one with separation anxiety. (laughs) I was like, oh, oh, I'm not prepared for this this quiz. (laughs) You're like, oh my God, I'm not ready. anxiety is the only one that doesn't follow me anywhere I'm pretty sure my Karen Terrier is having a heart attack downstairs so they didn't let her come up here with me to record this podcast uh, she follows me absolutely everywhere it's like she has to she runs in front and makes sure everything's good um yeah. but yeah so it's not a predictor no and I agree Lycan is a velcro dog like he likes to always keep eyes on me zero separation yeah. anxiety like he goes pretty much to sleep straight away yeah He's like, oh you're leaving okay bye Ugh. Um, okay. So that one is well and truly busted, but you know, the, the jury is still out on all, literally all the other behavior problems. So we'll have to tackle those yeah. in part 75. Yeah, for sure. Sleeping <laughs> on the bed causes everything else. I mean, it is, I just don't do it. I, actually, I think what it should be is you should sleep on the floor and let your dog sleep in the bed and everything will be fine. 
you know what? Yes. I think my dogs might agree to that as well. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really the best call um, because then they'll really dominate us. <laughs> my dogs refuse to sleep. Nero refuses to sleep on the bed. He loves his bed. Like he actually, yeah. his nighttime routine is a little, um, if we don't go to bed on time, he will, he'll go to bed and then granted about 10 minutes later, I would say on average, he will then bust through the door and come and sit back on his bed. Kind of like a, you know, what are you guys doing? Like it's bedtime. Like, did I not make myself clear by going to bed? Um, he gets, yeah. he gets very kind of, you know, um, in his little routine, but on our bed very rarely now, because he just, his bed is just so amazing that he just loves loves being in his bed and equally in the morning getting him out of bed is sometimes a little you know I have to kind of I just leave him to it most of the time but if I need to get him up it takes some general coaxing <laughs> yeah yeah my senior said her too she's like no this is my fluffy and I am not moving yeah <laughs> so maybe we should start sleeping in their beds I think really but to you know adjust everything accordingly that's right we'll show them <laughs> That that's true. Truly, how to get dominance is if you just sleep in their bed. Yeah, <laughs> I think other people should try that first and let us know how it goes. Yes. Um, <laughs> My new technique, technique trademark. So I think this next one, it actually does talk, I guess, a little bit on what you just said about Velcro dogs. But um, the next one is ignore the dog while you're home and when you come home. So kind of, I suppose, if you, if your dog is following you, you, that one would kind of, you know, apply. Yeah. Um, again, where did these things, like who started this? (laughs) (laughs) So no, I mean, could you imagine walking into your house and your husband's there and he like is standing at the door greeting you with a glass of wine and, or if you don't drink some sparkling water <laughs> uh, and you, you look at him and you just walk past, like, he'd be like, what are you doing? Um, no, like you should greet your dog. Absolutely. And you should say hello. And I mean, why do we have dogs if we're not going to interact with them? Yeah. It's and why would that cause separation anxiety? I mean, let's just think about this for a second. Why does interacting with your dogs cause separation anxiety? Like, no, that's just not logical. I thought that was another quiz and I wasn't prepared. (laughs) (laughs) I literally was like, like, I didn't, of course you did. (laughs) Come on, this is what, you're the expert. Um, (laughs) That's what they say. Am I the only one quiz? No, literally for a second there, just kind of like, (laughs) like, uh, I don't know. You're like, I don't know. (laughs) Because they're cute, that's why I have them. Uh, they just I just have them I don't know I don't know why Beth this is too much pressure (laughs) because they're great correct answer yeah they're cute and they're great and And life is not complete without them (laughs) correct all right so this last one it um it kind of follows on from the one previously And that is, do not say goodbye when you're leaving. No, we actually uh, suggest that you do a leaving cue. So for Tess, because she's deaf, it's a wave and a thumbs up. And then when we come home, um, it's a double-handed wave. So it's a one-handed wave and a thumbs up when we leave. And when we come home, it's a double-handed wave. So um, yes, they should have leaving cues. Very, very good. Yeah. 
um yeah i did a i did a post not too long ago it wasn't for dogs with separation anxiety i think um people were a little bit confused about that but what i was kind of i don't know if you saw that one that was the fake news one um where it talked about oh, yeah i did i think i, I think yeah. i shared it because i'm a good friend Da, 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 da. Um, so then <laughs> that one, yeah, it was talking about, um, I believe it was talking about what saying goodbye. Now I can't remember what I posted myself. Wah! Um, but it was the study wasn't, it wasn't to do with separation anxiety. So it wasn't for dogs that had already, um, you know, experienced or was experiencing separation anxiety, but it was just talking about, um, you know, the greetings and stuff. And I mean, I greet my dogs whenever I come home. So if, if a dogs were going to have separation anxiety from this, um, my dogs would definitely have it because that is something. And sometimes I do big greetings, you know, like if I'm yeah. like, I came home today, I wasn't really, you know, like feeling fantastic today for, um, kind of general, you know, reasons, things that have happened previously in the day. Um, and I, you know, big kind of greeting Nero generally meets me at the door and it was, you know, using his pet names and blah, 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 and, you know, really excited to see. And that went on for about a minute, I would say, which is kind of long when you, you know, you're actively in it. Um, and he was excited and the tail was wagging and he hopped a little bit because he doesn't really jump up on me, but he kind of was like, Hey mom, yeah, we, we're excited about something. And that happens yeah. kind of on a routine basis. Like I just couldn't imagine again, very, very similar to like, we were just talking about when you come home and like your partner, if, if my, if Scott is in a different room and I come home, like <laughs> if I, if I haven't come to find him and say hello to him, you know, he comes to find me like, and then he's like, yeah. Hello. like, you know, it's just not normal. It's yeah. completely strange to, to not, um, it's very strange. Say goodbye to your dog. Yeah. Say goodbye to your dogs, people. Yeah, please. They, they need, they need those sweet goodbyes. Um, I usually tell them to be good. Don't roll the word. Don't, don't, don't destroy the world or murder anyone. And I'll be back soon. <laughs> I just say, I love you, but you know, you could probably, <laughs> I'm like, I love you. I see you later. <laughs> they go kind of these weird, both my dogs have like multiple nicknames. So like, you know, yeah. depending on my mood is, is whatever, you know, nickname they're going to get with their little, I love you. Um, but I think you should always, always say goodbye and always say, I love you. Yeah. Like, oh, how could you know? Yeah, same with your husband. Like you, you're with your partner. You're going to say goodbye. I love you. Yeah. Um, why and, and your mom and your dad and your your you know people you love I mean I do it with my friends that I love goodbye I love you like why wouldn't you do it for your dog just say it people just say it just get over it just say it <laughs> Beth told you so literally nothing on these myth list literally all of them have been like just desecrated there's nothing yeah. on here so like just to quickly go over them second pet whether to use a, a crate or a safe space or an open space, nope. um, unfixable, yeah. uh, don't comfort the dog, uh, nope. being soft on dogs, letting nope. them sleep in the bed, ignore Definitely causes all behavior problems with sleeping in the bed. <laughs> except, except. Except separation. The only one, the only one. Um, that's nope. scientific. You've heard it here first. Yeah. So yeah. ignore I'm the scientist. dog. 
<laughs> Ignore the dog while you're home and when you come home. Um, and then don't say goodbye. So literally none of those right. contribute to separation anxiety. Correct. Myths busted. Myths busted. We could be a myth, we could be a mythbusters. <laughs> it would be a very boring episode, but we could do it. It would be a great episode. That would be fun. We could just go through Did all. Did I still the- do that show? I'm totally writing into them. I don't know. No, don't write into them. We got this idea. We got this. We got this. Don't oh, don't let them in. But <laughs> <laughs> anyone <laughs> heard it here first, folks. Mythbusters right. edition. Um- <laughs> That's right. We should do that. That'd be amazing. That would be fun, I think, actually. Now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, that'd be a great, and we could always like bring in, you know, the scientific kind of studies yeah. on it and, and cite that. New idea, new. New idea. New I'm now your podcast co-host. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> myth busting. I love it. Dog myth busting. Let's go. I don't Let's think do they it. do that show anymore, but I don't get, like, because I'm in the UK now, I don't, um, I haven't watched it in a really long time, uh, but you yeah. might have to check in on that. We might be stepping up those, maybe. <laughs> I will. Um, right. So let's get kind of what. So we've talked about like what don't to do, what don't to do, what don't, <laughs> what you shouldn't. What don't to do? <laughs> what don't to do? What don't to do? Um, what don't to do? <laughs> I think that's going to be the quote of the podcast. What don't to do? Um, <laughs> You sound, you sound German now. But don't do. Oh, uh, goodness. Um, we're sorry. I am a professional. I am a professional. I am a professional. Like center. Um, so Get it together, Renee. I know. Um, so we've talked about you know, what does it look like? What is it? Um, you know, what are the signs? Um and we've busted some myths. So now feels like an appropriate time to kind of talk about, you know, what do we want to do? So what would you say are the best kind of approaches um, for someone who thinks that their dog may be experiencing separation anxiety? Yeah. So the first thing I would suggest is let's do a consult with an SAPCT or a CSAT. So there's two certified, two certifications. Uh, Melina Martini has her CSATs and Julie Naismith has her SAPCTs. So, you know, find one of those qualified professionals because you really want somebody that understands separation anxiety in and out and not just does it as an add-on. So like my business is I specialize in aggression, reactivity, and separation anxiety, and that's it. Um, while that is, that's still a lot, but, you know, separation anxiety related behaviors are the majority of my business. So I focus on that dog and focus on that dog that has those behaviors. So you really want somebody that's, that really narrows down and knows what they're looking at and looking for. Now, if doing a consult with a, a separation anxiety pro is outside of your budget, what I would consider doing is getting, uh, be right back by Julie Naismith or The Separation Anxiety and Dogs by Melina Martini. They're both great books. They're really well-written. They're really easy to understand. Um, and they're great places to start. The very first thing I would do, suspend absences. Send your dog to doggy daycare. Have 
Uh, and if you can manage to work from home, I know for Rosie's parents and the majority of my separation anxiety clients, they've managed to be able to shift their schedule to be able to work from home, especially in times of COVID. It's made doing uh, separation anxiety programs much easier because they're already home. So we can suspend these absences really easily, and then we can work on desensitizing the door uh, and desensitizing absences. So first, sus suspend an absence, doggy daycare, pet sitter, friend or family member, if you can't work from home. Two, uh, you want to do something that I can't remember now. Okay, sorry, lost my train of thought. Like I was trying to like find it. Two is something that we do. Um, two, you want to start desensitizing the door. So you want to make the door less uh, unique, um, less exciting. So we're first going to drop all leaving cues. Uh, we'll add those in at about 15 minutes of duration. So we're going to walk halfway to the door, sit down, walk halfway to the door, sit down, walk to the door and touch the handle walk to the door and touch the handle 10 times each, and then open door, close door, open door, close door. And we're gonna do this over and over again until the dog is finally like, what are you doing? And is no longer stressing out. So if you stand up and the dog head perks up and its ears go and its mouth gets tight and the dog's eyes go wide, then that's where we're gonna start. Stand up, sit down over and over and over again until standing up and sitting down is so boring to your dog and your knees are so shot that you have no other choice but to continue sitting. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding and then then you'll move on to walking to, towards the door and that's where with Tessa that took a while so I and Rosie Rosie took a long time with desensitizing with doing the doors of war and we had to really narrow it down for her so we had to just go stand at the door for a few seconds so we'd walk to the door stand there walk to the door stand there and then walk back um and that took about two weeks for mm, Two, three weeks for her. Um, Tess took, I think, a month for that to really get the door to be boring. Um, and then you start building duration. And so what that looks like is literally you step outside the door and you come right back in. We always want a camera. Let me add that. We want to have a camera so you can watch what's happening when you go out. Um, I like the YI Home 360, though I think they're Waze, W-Y-Z-E, the Waze cameras. Mm -hmm. Those are good. Uh, you can get them on Amazon. They're relatively inexpensive, $30 to $40 each, uh, and they record and they have a handy dandy little app so you can watch your dog uh, and then, you know, just go in, go out for a second too. And if your dog is good for that second, go right back in. It's always better to go in before the dog gets stressed than after the dog is starting to stress. And we just want to watch for those stress signs, lip licking, yawning, drooling, pacing, frantic pacing. Uh, vocalizing and if they any destruction or urinating so that's where I would start uh, that's that's a really good place to start is is there and always you know yes we can do it by ourselves but a qualified professional is going to get you there faster and talking to your vet possibly about um, behavior medication yep excellent what would you say makes separation anxiety worse? So we talked about like all those myths and stuff where, you know, we, we're not causing separation anxiety, but what would you say is what does interfere with progress and worsens it? Not suspending absences. That's a hundred percent sure. 
um, and not taking them out of the crate. So if they're in a crate and their confinement anxiety is pretty severe, we're going to want to get them out of that crate and, and then work on building up, uh, habituating them to being left alone uh, and suspending your absences. That's that's 100% the very first place we have to start. That's where we're going to get there the quickest. So if we can't suspend absences, that's normally when we see a slower uh, rise to fixing the separation anxiety. So what would you say to someone who is like, I can't, I, I need to work? Like, how do you yeah. manage that in those situations? Yep. So can your dog go to doggy daycare? Can you find somewhere that's within your budget that he can go to doggy daycare? Um, can mom or dad help uh, and maybe take the dog during the day? Can can you afford a pet sitter? Uh, do you have a friend? Do you know someone that maybe is in the same boat and you and could watch your dog too? Um, there's really what I find. And so I have a young couple um, with Cooper that uh, we've been together three months. And actually this dog is kind of a miracle dog. And so... It, it results not typical asterisk asterisk um <laughs> this dog went from 30 minutes to eight hours and is killing it so i'm like holy crap like this dog has just done it all he is he he's rocking it um they they're a young couple they don't have a whole lot of money and they made it work they they went sent the dog to doggy daycare for two months and he was rocking it really well. And then they had an issue at doggy daycare and they had to leave him home the next day and they've left him home for a week. And he's, uh, with watching him on the camera and with talking to me, he's been rocking six to eight hours. Um, we have adjusted their schedule, um, for next week that the boyfriend's going to come home. We're going to try to have the dog only be left that long for three days and see if we can make sure that that coop stays under under threshold. But so far he's rocking it. It's not to say that's gonna work for all dogs. So asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. It, this is a once in a lifetime kind of deal that's working out really well for them. Um, but you know, when it's bad enough for your dog, most people will be able to find a way to make it work. Uh, and I know it's stressful and I know it's hard. And like we spent $150 a week on pet sitters when we had when we were suspending absences with tests because I had to have people come and stay for eight hours while my, while I was doing sessions, while my husband was at the hospital. So it was a lot, it was hard. It was, and it was hard on us and it, it's emotional and it's draining. Um, but if you can find a way to do it, that's the best way to do it. Otherwise then I ask that we go to a situational med a little faster. Okay. Yeah. That's some really great advice. I think it is one of the things that, um, people do find the hardest that's the hardest yeah the suspending the absence is the hardest like they look at me like I have you know five heads and horns um, yeah and it's like they're like what suspend absences and I'm like I know I know and then they do it and the dog progresses so much faster and they're like oh okay I believe you now Bruce <laughs> always in the pudding <laughs> so you do know what you're talking about <laughs> I mean maybe my clients seem to think so, which is always a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of, you know, wrapping up separation anxiety, if you had to give, you've already given like a plethora of fantastic, you know, bits of information, but if you had to say your kind of best advice, like your takeaway from, you know, this talk and, and separation anxiety, what would you say? if we're handling it, what would you say is your, your kind of, you know, gold star takeaway information? 
Well, first, don't beat yourself up. You didn't cause it. Um, second, you'll get there. Just keep working at it. And three, if you can do anything, suspend your absences. I mean, that's really the most important on top of everything. Um, but you didn't cause it. This isn't because of you. Your dog is not damaged because you did something to them. So, you know, just keep the faith and, and you'll get there. And then all of a sudden you'll look back at your later and go, oh, look, I did it. And you'll be so proud of yourself. Yeah. No, that's such good advice. I don't know if that's what you wanted, but I, that, I mean, does that yeah. make sense? No, no, definitely. I think it's good for people to kind of have that little bit of information that, you know, they can kind of focus on and, and all of that yeah. is, is really, really good because we do beat ourselves up a lot about it. You know, anything yeah. that we're dealing with, with our dogs, you know, we talked about before that heavy emotional toll. Um, and when you're in it, it feels so overwhelming that it's just for sure. to see any way out of it. For sure. And equally, I think if you're doing really well and you have a setback, those yes, I find don't get discouraged. Yeah, you're just yeah. like, why did this happen? I don't understand. Um, yeah, it yeah. Hits you like so much harder. Yeah, for sure. Well, my final wrap up is um, a series of some fun questions. So I don't know if you've okay. listened to the podcast before, but I I like to add some some interesting bits at the end. So just to kind of get to know you a little bit better. And, you know, I often say, don't think about these questions. Um, just answer them. Um, first thing okay. that comes to mind, but <laughs> I'll try oh. not to, there's a mix of ones. So I never really know which one's going to pop okay. up necessarily. So there might be some ones that you might want to, um, there might be a little, little, uh, less lighthearted than the other ones, more kind of, you know, the the tear jerkers i suppose oh no do i get, do i get to pass do i have to be like is this like a lightning round where i can be like pass <laughs> no <Damn it. laughs> no just kidding um <laughs> yeah of course you could always pass there's nothing that heavy so it's not gonna you know we're not diving in deep here like you know okay. tell me your deepest childhood trauma um there's not the none of that. <laughs> Go, go, go. Um, okay, so are you ready? Hit me. Okay. Uh, if you were a dog, what breed of dog would you be? A terrier. And why? Because I'm feisty. Because <laughs> I'm little and feisty. And I'm, because I'm always getting everybody shit and, you know, like telling them what to do. That's why. <laughs> Interesting answer. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think terriers are fun as well. So like, yeah. I definitely get that vibe from you. Fun. fun yeah. I mean, I want to say like, I'd be a Malinois because I'm amazing at work, but no, let's be <laughs> honest. I'm a terrier because I'm little and bitchy. That's why. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. Okay. Um, so what are you grateful for or most grateful for in life? I'm grateful for the dogs that I've, that I've been blessed to be a pet parent to in my life. Um, you know, Schmog has really shaped my journey. Uh, Duchess, who I lost in September, she, she really shaped my journey. Um, she was my partner dog when I came back to uh, full-time behavior work. And so I'm really thankful for the dogs that have blessed me uh, to be their pet mom. And my clients, you know, honestly, trusting me with their dogs is astronomical. And the dogs that we've walked some really really deep journeys with, you know, um, 
of all of the people that I would say one of the one of I'm not phrasing this well um but I want to say that I'm very grateful for Haley and Chris and Cairo they they really led me on a journey they were one of my very first clients back full-time and unfortunately we lost Cairo to behavioral euthanasia but he was they were instrumental into the lessons that I learned and I'm very grateful for them. And you made me cry. That's not okay. Oh no. <laughs> oh God. Did <laughs> I make you cry too? Now we're just all crying. <laughs> After, see, I did say these are so lighthearted, and you know, don't think about them, and I make you cry. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll. I'll try to pick a lighter one. Here we go. Okay. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Rocky Road. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because I love marshmallows. I love marshmallows, and I'm a little nutty. Yeah, I love. I love Rocky Road. You know, it's like my least favorite flavor. I don't know. I've never gelled with it, even from a kid. You know, when kids are like, yeah, What's this wrong is marshmallow. With you? I know, I know, really. Delete this podcast right now. We're done. We <laughs> got one more question. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, marshmallows, marshmallows gross unless they're toasted. Like they have to be toasted. And then they become this amazing, oh, yummy, gooey, like crispy thing that's like, oh, but oh, Rocky, what's in Rocky? So there's, what? So you don't even know. You're saying you don't <laughs> like it and you don't even know. <laughs> it's chocolate ice cream with marshmallows and nuts. What kind of nuts? <laughs> I think peanuts. No, see, no, I just, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. It's the, but also yeah. the chocolate is like fudge chocolate. It's like fudge sauce, yeah. isn't it? It's really no, good. No, these are not the things I like. Um, <laughs> chopped almonds. It has chopped almonds in it. Chopped almonds. Oh, see, okay. See, stop being so judgy. You but like it. I don't like the 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 chocolate fudgy like fudgy fudge. I don't, I'm not really into that so much. Fudge sauce. You know we're not friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're it's your up. favorite ice cream, not mine. I'm just I'm just okay. Fine. I was just talking about it, really. Um, <laughs> so you're just judging me for my ice cream. That's fine. That's fine. I imagine you are free to like whatever disgusting ice cream <laughs> flavor you like. <laughs> What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Because I'm going to judge you now. <laughs> well, I have several. Like, it depends on what country I'm in. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really like, oh, it just depends on what country I'm in, really. Because <laughs> you know what? Being an American, living in a different country, I make do with what I have available to me because, you know, America is the land of opportunity. And especially when it comes to ice creams, because there are so many options and we just do not have, we don't even have like a fraction of the options that in the UK. So like yeah. even certain ice creams, like, <laughs> So I know a lot about dogs and uh, ice creams. And um, ice creams, apparently. <laughs> so the ice creams, like we don't have like Bluebell. Um, you know, the Bluebell makes a, a 
a banana pudding flavor. And I love banana pudding. It's very like my grandmother used to make banana pudding. I love it. Um, you wouldn't even like here, I would probably say banana pudding and people would be like, I don't know what that is. That's because bananas are gross and they amazing. No, they're gross. And would you believe, so I'm going to get, I'm going to get thrown out of Texas for saying this next bit of knowledge. I've never had bluebell ice cream. What? <laughs> true. You true. have to have banana pudding. Blue no, pudding. I don't like bananas, first of all. So that's not oh. oh my gross. God. You know, this podcast, this podcast has gone downhill quick. Down- it really has. We're very sorry. <laughs> we're not really, but and we're too. I'm sorry if you lose listeners because of this podcast. <laughs> no, but I think, okay. So like, I love banana pudding ice cream. Again, that's something I can only get generally like when I'm back home or in any Southern yeah. state. Um, I really, I love pistachio, pistachio from Ben and Jerry's. I like a good pistachio ice cream. We don't really have that in the UK either. Um, we definitely don't have the Ben and Jerry's one. Sometimes we get a gelato one here and that still doesn't okay. taste good. Um, <laughs> this is um, what other ones? There's like a mint cookie that I used to have a long time ago from, from Ben and Jerry's, which is like <laughs> mint ice cream with Oreo cookie. That is a really nice one. Um, but again, yeah. don't have that in the UK. I'll go to the UK versions. Um, I really- <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be here. I asked one flavor and you're telling me 42. I got problems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm also, so alongside of my perfectionism and my, um, control freak capabilities, I also, um, am very picky. So <laughs> I Shocking. <laughs> I have very interesting habits of, of food. I really like ice cream. I think ice cream is one of the best desserts. Um, it has I haven't to- been able to tell. <laughs> um, and Ben and Jerry's happens to be, if you're listening, Ben and Jerry's, <laughs> I love We'd you. We'd like you to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> yes. I'd like you to sponsor Renee. Um, give me Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Um, there's so many different flavors, so many flavors in America that are amazing. In the UK, if I had to, if I had to pick one, right now, I would pick Netflix and Chilled, which is the peanut butter. Do you have that over there? I think so, yeah. The peanut yeah. butter ice cream one with crushed pretzels. And Ooh, that sounds good. It is good. I've been waiting forever. Like literally, I remember when Ben and Jerry's <laughs> really gone downhill. This has gone downhill. I remember when Ben and Jerry's was looking for flavor combinations. And I remember writing to them and being like, peanut butter, anything that has peanut butter and pretzel. Can you put pretzel in a ice cream? That's what I want. Peanut butter and I love pretzels. Yes. It's so good. Love, 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 love. That's my favorite one at the moment, but sometimes it changes. And I sometimes like blondie brownie. Um, if you have that one there, that one is very yeah, good as well. Um, and that's it. I I'll stop there, but you okay, know, there are so many, so many options here. I do not, I do not play favorites when it comes to ice cream. I have, you know, a repertoire of different flavors I rely on. I see that. And, and we'll get back to your last question. Um, 
what is the most interesting period in history to you? You know, I am, I was obsessed with Bridgerton. So I think that like period time in whatever time that was set in, where it's like, the, the so I don't know. But did you see, did you watch Bridgerton? No, no, I haven't looked at that really. Okay, listen, it's very dirty. Ooh, okay. But it's really good. And it's set in like, I don't know what it's, when it's set in. Now I have to Google this because now I'm talking stupid. <laughs> it looks like it's very like Jane Austen times. Very, so yeah, 1813. So I want to be in um, the historical epoch known as the Regency. I want to be in the Regency. That's when I want to be. I want to be in those pretty dresses and I want to wear a tiara and... I got a tiara, it's a tiara. Have you seen, you don't know what that, do you know what that's from? No. The Big Bang Theory, did you watch that? Oh, and when Sheldon gave, where is that from? When Sheldon gave Amy a tiara. I got a tiara. And she's like, <laughs> she's screaming and yelling that she got a tiara because he didn't know what to buy her. So he bought her a tiara. No, I don't remember that one. That just cut that from the podcast, God. <laughs> I already have to cut like, you know, 25 minutes of ice cream flavor footage. Right? <laughs> ah, I mean, I think, get me down a rabbit hole, why don't you? <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Yeah, so like, I want to, I thought to, <laughs> um, yeah, in the 1800s when we can wear pretty dresses and tiaras. But it's so much hassle, don't you think? Because you have to put on like, you know, they put on so much clothing. Like there's so many leggers and being like bounded up, you know, with all of those corsets and things like that. And you have to act really proper. And it's just so much pressure in that oh. period. No, you need to watch Bridgerton because nobody act proper. And there's <laughs> lots of, lots of sex. So yeah, I want to be in the Bridgerton time. Okay. Then it's not, see, I like the, the restriction of the Jane Austen like period where you're, yeah. you're saying things, but you're not really saying them, but you might be saying right. them, but only right. a certain way. That's, I love that period right. of time. Like sense and sense. Right. Or the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you choose either that or the 1960s. Yeah. Why the 1960s? Um, isn't that what flappers were? The roaring 60s when they, when you were, there was drinking and prohibition and all kinds of stuff. I think like, why not? Gangster. Oh shit. The thirties. Cause the sixties is like bell hops and hoop skirts and. Well, like, yeah, then I yeah. wanted to be the thirties because I want to be like a gangster's, you know, <laughs> wife. <laughs> so you've gone for two. I oh, know, I suppose. Cause you're saying Bridgerton is, is more loose than. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I mean, I'm weird. I don't know. I don't know history. I'm a dog person. <laughs> it's so interesting. I that you say that because I am awful at history like literally history and geography I I don't know I honestly and this is shameful and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud but I learned a lot of my history from um watching um the real housewives of Beverly Hills like <laughs> when they yeah, go when they go abroad and then like yes, and they don't know where they are 
Well, I can't remember something happened and the other day and, and Scott and I were talking and um, I was like, oh my God, I know about that because I just learned about it from the housewives. And he was like, yeah, and it actually happened in real life too. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah. my God, I know, I know. I'm horrible at history. I really am. There's lots, you know, I learned lots and lots about dogs um, and ice creams, but I do not know about history or geography. Like I'm the worst. I don't, I can't, I can't handle it. Me either. Oh, thank God. I know nothing. <laughs> I know lots about dogs, very little about time periods, very little about anything useful really besides dogs. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I commend people who know lots about things. Cause I, I very, I am very niche. I have the things that I love and yes. I know a lot about those and I become like obsessive about the things that I love and everything yes. else just like dissipates away. <laughs> yeah. 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 I so say, I don't know much about sports or anything. And like the other day I said something about, um, the Super Bowl and about Tom Brady. And I'm like, yeah, do you know that he's the only quarterback that's ever played in 10 Super Bowls? And he's like, turns his head and looks at me and he's like, what? How do you know that? And I'm like, oh, a podcast. <laughs> like, I'm like, <laughs> I heard it on the armchair experts. That's how I know. He was like, I thought so, but you sounded really smart. And I'm like, thanks. See, podcasts are informative and they help they you. They are. They, they do. sound intelligent. They do. The more you know. Um. You heard it here first here. You, you heard it first here, folks. If well, they made it to the end, they may not have. I think they hung up about halfway through. <laughs> They're off getting ice cream. They're like, that's right. They're like, we're done with these two crazies. But they've missed all the amazing tips. They'll watch, they'll listen to it later. It's fine. Um, yeah. Well, Beth, it has been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight talking to you. Oh, um, I you. hope that I, I think, I hope I've helped um, with separation anxiety. I think um, I can. Have. Awesome. That's so good. I can be found at Rehab Your Rescue on Instagram and Facebook. My website is www.rehabyourrescue.com. I almost said too many W's. Um, <laughs> and my email is hello at rehabyourrescue.com. Please feel free to shoot me a DM, send me a message. Um, I'd love to help and do a consult if I can all help you with your separation anxiety dog. Excellent. Thank you so much again. It has definitely, definitely been a pleasure having you. And um, I would look forward to part 105 of the Dog Logical podcast. <laughs> Discussing ice cream flavors. That's right. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me here at the Dog Logical podcast. I hope that you had a great time listening to this episode and learned a little bit along the way. Don't forget, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. Thanks again, guys, and see you next time. Mm -hmm.